Amen. Philippians chapter 1. Good morning. Thank you, Lewis. And everyone else, welcome to you, Full of Baptist Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm excited to be jumping into Philippians. Am I good here? Do I need to adjust or anything? We're good. Okay, we're good to go. Um, Philippians chapter number 1. Uh, I love the book of Philippians. We're going to jump into the first 11 verses this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about it. This is a special church to Paul. And uh, I'm excited to jump in. Let's go ahead and just read the first 11 verses, and then we'll pray and uh, just jump into the message. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment." That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Um, this is the beginning of the pastoral epistle to the church at Philippi that Paul is writing. The church of Philippians is interesting to Paul. Um, it's the first church he started. If you go back and read in Acts chapter 13, it's kind of the, the church of Philippi's introduction. It's the beginning of it. And uh, you could just tell as you read throughout Philippians that this is a special, um, this is a special church to Paul. And uh, the theme of the book of Philippians is encouragement, it's love, it's joy in the Lord despite persecutions. And you can tell as you read throughout that not only do they have joy, but they have love. And uh, it, it, it's just, it's special um, to Paul. I was just talking to, to Matt and Coleman a second ago, and um, we didn't really mention this, no one really talked about it, but today is a candidacy Sunday. It's kind of weird me, me being the one to bring it up, but it is a candidacy Sunday for me to pastor this church. Um, we're going to have a vote tonight if you're a guest with us today. It doesn't really affect you, but um, for the members of our church, we're voting tonight on, on my future, on my family's future, and uh, what all that's going to look like. And I've been, I think I'm going to cry. So let's move on. Let's get, when I cry, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he said, don't uh, fake cry when you preach. I said, you'll know when I'm crying because it's embarrassing, and it's very high. Um, but you could tell that the church of Philippians, uh, Philippians, the church of Philippi was special to Paul. And uh, for months, I've been thinking about this day. And I kind of figured it would come probably September, October. And so I was like, okay, this is probably going to be a thing. And... My first thought was, I have no idea what you're supposed to preach at these things. Um, I've never done these before, and I've never been a part of one before. I, I, I told you that story a few months ago where the only candidacy service I've ever been in was my dad's, and I didn't know it was a candidacy, ser candidacy service until I looked at the bulletin and found out we were moving to Florida. And uh, that, I'm not going to do that to Harlow. I, I, I gave her a heads up of what was going on. Um, but I was like, man, what do I, what do I preach and one word has kind of stuck out to me, and it's kind of, um, it's just been in my head. I didn't, I'm not going to lie, I didn't have a text to use it. I know I wanted, I, I've said for, for years that the first 
book I would ever preach through if I was pastoring a church would be the book of Philippians because it is on the joy of the Lord in conflict and the joy of the Lord in transition, the joy of the Lord in prison. This church was, this is an interesting book. This church was literally started by Paul while he was in prison. And then the church of Philippians, the letter he's writing to them while he's in prison again. This is the, this is the jail church. Um, and it's all about the joy of the Lord and the encouragement of the saints and the, and the love of them. And uh, I, I read the first 11 verses, and I was like, well, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And the word that's kind of stuck out to me is continue. Um, continue. And I don't know what my future holds at Full Web Church. That is up to you guys tonight, which is tough. You know, you guys hold my future in my hand, and I know that much more than you guys hold my future in my hand. The Lord holds my future in my hand. I'm way more trusting in that than I am of you. Um, <laughs> but I will say that if this is the last Sunday morning that I preach here or whatever, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds, and none of us do. Um, the one thing I'd like to leave with you is to continue. It's to continue. And um, you can tell that Paul loves this church, and I hope you know <laughs> this is going to be a problem. <laughs> I haven't cried in a while. I hope you know that I love you. And... I've been here for four years serving and trying my best to show that to you, and I hope that it's more than me telling you that, that you've experienced that um, these past four years. We're going to need to start preaching or this is going to be very long. Um, continue. Um, there are things about this church that made it special to Paul. It's the first church he founded. If you read Acts 13, it's a, the, the first three conversions, kind of like it's kind of detailing the first converts of the church and who they are. The first one was a, uh, a seller of purple, Lydia. She's a wealthy lady who made her money um, in trades, and Paul he gets to lead her to the Lord. And then the next one, he's casting demons out of a slave girl. And then the next one, he's in jail, um, and he's converting the jailer to Christ, and then all of a sudden this church is started, and if you read through the, the epistles, even in Philippians 4, you can tell this church had so much love and support for Paul. He's so thankful for them. The reason that he actually got this letter is because they brought him a financial gift while he was in prison, and he wrote this letter and sent it back with him, um, and you can tell that it was just special to him, and it's special to him for, for many reasons, and because he, he knew the people personally, because he was there for, their, for the beginning, because he was there for what the gospel had done for them. He knew them, and he's writing to them, and literally the, there's, there's, there's correct, and the epistles are tough, man. If you read the epistles, it's hard. It's a lot of correction. First and Corinthians, it's a lot of you need to stop doing this and do this. And Philippians is not really like that as much. I mean, there's teaching, there's, there's things, but it's a lot more of continue in what you've done and take it to another level, and that's really what I want to preach today. And my heart for you, Fuller Baptist Church, despite me being a part of it, or if I am a part of it, whatever it is, is to simply continue in what has been done and continue it until it is. Verse 25, and it's not really in our text, but it, it kind of is the text verse of this. It says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Ah, this won't do anything, but I appreciate it, Eric. That's just my voice, unfortunately. The letter starts with a greeting and a thank you. And then he goes in, and Paul gives him... He really points out three things that, that jumped out to me and three things that he really valued in the church at Philippi and said that these three must continue. And I want us to see these things as we break, work through these texts and continue to strive towards them as a church. Continue to fight, strive towards them as a church. Let's, let's just jump right in. Verse 
number four and five. Point number one, Paul desperately wanted them to continue their joy found in the gospel. Verse number four and five, let's read it again. It says, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Joy is clearly the theme throughout the book, but it's not a joy it is a joy found in the gospel. The gospel of Christ is all throughout. Verse, look at verse number five. Fellowship in the gospel. Being confident of this very thing, that thing is the gospel. Verse number seven, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse number 12, unto the furtherance of the gospel. To the one preached Christ of confection. That's Christ's gospel. Christ is preached. That's the gospel. Verse 27, the gospel of Christ. If we just look back and think of these converts, you think of Lydia, this wealthy woman, this slave girl who's just had demons cast out of her, and you have a jailer. These are three people from very different walks of life, and it doesn't make sense that they have unity, that they walk together, that they're in a church, that they're worshiping together, and it does make sense when you've experienced the gospel. And what the gospel does is it brings people from all different walks of life, all different places, all different, all different ups and downs and lows and highs, and it brings them together and it unites them at the foot of the cross, and that's what the gospel has done for the church of Philippi, and that's what the gospel has done for you, Fuller Baptist Church. And that's what we must continue. What united them was not their passions, their hobbies, their upbringings, their church history, their family status, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what brought them joy and unity despite not only their differences but their circumstances. I said this was a church that was under heavy persecution. This is in a, this is in a city that is pro-Roman empire. Pro-Roman empire, which means that Caesar is their God. If you mention any king God other than Caesar, it was a punishable offense. That's why all these people are constantly in jail because it was a heavily persecuted area and yet in this city is the book of joy despite their circumstances. Despite prison, the gospel had become so real to them, there was not oblig- obligatory church participation, but true heartfelt passion to know Jesus. This is a dedication that only the gospel can bring. Our church and ministry, you fold the Baptist church, must continue to be shaped by and centered on the gospel, the good news. I'm going to give you seven things super quick for this point, and I, I, I think they'll be quick. These are seven things that Tim Keller actually pointed out about what a gospel center ministry looks like. Seven features of the gospel that because of these features, we should be displaying as a church and continue to be gospel-centered. Seven features of the gospel. The first is this, the gospel is historical. The gospel is historical. You know, the difference between news and advice if you were to go, and if uh, Tim Keller gives this illustration, if you were to go to war and a messenger comes back to us and says, hey, say we were to go to war and the, the army's out there and the army has been defeated and the messenger runs back to us and says, hey, look, the army's been defeated. Here's what we should do. You should run here. You should hide here. You should flee here. We should call these people. That's advice. That, that's that's a, a messenger sending uh, advice on what you should do. That is not the gospel. Why? Because with advice, you respond with fear because you're now fighting for your life. The gospel is not advice. The gospel is good news. And we respond with good news with joy because victory has already been won. That is the gospel. Our church must consistently declare what the gospel has done historically for us and throughout the past 2,000 years that it has existed. We are not giving you tips. The ministry of this church, the ministry of this pulpit, the ministry of me is not giving you tips on how to live your lives. I don't plan to give you good stories to entertain you or illustrations to convince you to be different. But my goal is to declare who gave his life and giving him all the space to transform you. Because my advice will never cut it. 
My stories will never entertain enough. My, my, in, my intentions are never good enough, but the gospels are. And they've been historically good for as long as it has existed. The gospel is historical. Second, you can tell that these are not, this is not my seven. The second is doxological or worshipful. The gospel brings us into glorious worship with one another. It really, the passage where all this comes from is 1 Peter 1 and 2. It's kind of a sister um, passage of Philippians 1. It, it, it brings us into glorious worship with one another. 1 Peter 1 3 says the foundation of the gospel is to bring us to a place where we can worship. All of our sin stems from us idolizing or adoring something else, worshiping something other than God. The, bro- the gospel brings us to the only place where we can put away idols and actually worship God because that's what the gospel's done. It is worship. The gospel purges us, pushes us to worship. Our church, our preaching, once again, should not be emotional storytelling or expository information. I'm not up here to get to, to, uh, to come to your emotions and persuade you to do something. I'm also not coming up here to pour out information to you that you can retain. My goal is to give you information and use your emotions to allow the gospel to stir something in you that only it can do. We want both. Our emotions to take this biblical information and make it come alive, and that will cause you to worship. That's what caused us to worship. Not, not only is it worshipful, it's Christocentric, Christ-centered. The gospel is Jesus. First Peter 1.10, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament is what Jesus has done. The basic subject of everything we teach, preach, proclaim should be Jesus. From this pulpit, from this ministry, from a pastoral ministry, you follow up to church on Sunday morning. I, I used to, I was nervous because I was like, man, what, what would I preach? Do I need to be talking about vision? Do I need to be talking about one, five, ten year plan? Do I need to talk about what I would do? Adjustments, uh, things that wouldn't change, things that would change. My goals, my dreams, my vision. And I realized none of that matters. This, this place is not a place for Collins' vision or dreams. This place is the place of Christ. And everything that should be proclaimed from here should all point to him and to no one else. Consistently, Christ centered. We look into our text not to find ourselves or not to find you. We look into the text to find Jesus and what he has done. You are not David. Your problems are not Goliath, but your hero is consistently Jesus. Consistently Jesus. The gospel is not about uh, you and what you must do, but about what Jesus and what he has already done for you. Our ministry must be focused on Christ. The goal of you full of Baptist church must be to seek Christ. And the gospel does that for us. Not only is it Christ-centered, but it's personal. It's individual. We receive a new birth as individuals. The level of debt paid makes it more real and more personal. When you realize the debt has been paid, when you realize how big the debt was, how costly the payment was, it becomes more real to you than it ever has. You ever been surprised with how big a debt was? You ever got a bill in the mail that shocked you? And you're like, huh, Guys, I have an embarrassing story. You're going to think, I'm, I, guys, first of all, we'll talk about it tonight. I'm 24, so everyone get it out of your system now. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make you think, man, this kid is definitely 24. I went, in Florida, they don't enforce tolls, okay? I'm just being real. I don't know if you ever live in Florida. They just don't enforce tolls. I've been driving in tolls my whole life, never gotten a toll check, moved to North Carolina, bought a car, drove in tolls for three years, never got a, never got a place in the mail. Promise. Never got a single thing in the mail. I'm like, they don't enforce tolls here either. Last week, I'm not even kidding. I'm sitting in the office, Coleman's sitting next to me. Sammy sends me a picture of a letter from North Carolina State Tolls, $460. Why? Because they do enforce tolls apparently, but it takes them three years to add them all up and send them to you. Listen, 
The debt was shocking. Shocking. Painful. Hurt my soul. I still sad. I'm sad about it. Because it was painful. And because I realized how big the debt was, and that's a silly illustration compared to what Christ did for us. But the, it was a payment you could never pay. It was not just a death you could never die. It was a life you could never live. He lived a life that you could never live and died a death you could never die to pay for a sin that you were never capable of paying of because he loved you. And that should make it be personal to you. Because the gospel is a personal story. It's not just the good news of something that happened there. It's the good news of something that happened there that can happen with you. It's personal. Our preaching, our ministry from this pulpit must be pursuing individuals and watching Christ personally transform them. Not only is it personal, it's cultural. The gospel creates a culture. I'm not talking about the culture that we live in. I'm talking about the culture of the church. The gospel creates a culture. It's a completely different culture because it's not motivated by fear or by pride, but it's motivated by the joy that the gospel brings. There are churches not motivated by fear or pride, but by joy that the gospel brings. First Peter 2.12 calls us a peculiar people. Your good works, our lives should be so peculiar that it points people to Christ. We should be a different set of people. Our culture should be radically different from anything else we see. Why? Because we are a peculiar people. And the gospel calls us to be culturally different. Our church should be a peculiar place in the eyes of the world. People should look at the way you live as individuals, the way we function as a church, and say that place is different. Not because of a pastor, not because of a team, not because of a group, but because the gospel is real to us every single day. It's cultural. Two more, it's transformational. We're made a new creature. It's a transformational worldview. It changes everything about us. It changes the way we think, and it should touch every area of our life. I was thinking of Larry yesterday gave his testimony. It was a long testimony because he's lived a pretty long life, and he was going through, and he was pointing out all the things that Christ has done and how when he got saved. He grew up in a Lutheran church and got saved later in life, and then you get to see him radically transformed year after year and just continually to say yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus, and then he ends up being full-time in ministry, and he's a youth pastor for years and years and years. Now he's 72, and anytime I need Larry Leatherwood, I call him, he'll do it. Why? Not because he's a good guy, because the gospel has transformed his life. And over the past 50 years, we can look back and say, Larry didn't do that. A pastor didn't do that. The gospel did that. Because the gospel is transformational in our ministry, our church should consistently look around and see lives being transformed. And let me pause and say this. If your life hasn't been transformed by the gospel, I don't know if you've experienced it. Because it's a transformational gospel. And you may be coming to church and you may be checking a box, but if you cannot look at your life and say, man, the gospel has changed me, consistently grown me, pushed me, pursued me like nothing else ever has, I don't know if you've experienced it. And I'm begging you experience it today. Experience the good news today. Because it's transformational. And the last one, it's wonderful. It's miraculous. It's never new, never boring. It, it never should bore us. It should always excite us because it is wonderful. And our ministry should always be celebrating the wonder that the gospel brings. The gospel must be the center. Not, not a part, not a, not a place. must be the center of everything we do as a church. It must drive every decision. It's the solution to every problem. Why? Because in, for the Christian is the source of joy. First Philippians 1, 4, 5 just teaches when we pursue Christ and the gospel that he's given us, that is what brings us joy and nothing else will suffice. Because that is what the gospel brings. It is our source of joy. Of joy, Paul says you have joy because of the gospel of Christ at the center of everything you do. It's the heartbeat of this church, and it must continue to be. They've experienced the gospel for themselves, and then they can display the gospel for everyone else. 
We must continue to center everything we do around the gospel. The gospel is not just what saved us. The gospel is what sustains us. The gospel is what sanctifies us. The gospel is everything to us. That's our first point. Continue in the joy found in the gospel. Paul says continue in the joy found in the gospel and be confident as I am that the Lord is actively at work. Point number two. Continue their confidence and participation. I did, I did write something different last night before I made my mat. In the active hand of God. Continue the growth knowing Christ brings. Continue the growth, growth knowing Christ brings. Verse number six. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was fully convinced. He said, I am confident. Being confident of this very thing. This is a deep verse for theological discussion and reason because there's so much here. This is a verse we, we talk about with eternal security and sanctification. This verse gives us reasons to celebrate and celebrate several aspects of the work that the Lord has done. I'm going to give you two, three, and we're moving quickly. It says, a work has begun. Verse number six, being confident of this very thing which he hath begun a good work in you. This is the miracle of justification. God's declaration that through faith alone and Christ alone, we have been made righteous. This is salvation. Because of this, we have been saved. We can celebrate what the Lord has done. For those of us that have trusted Christ, we can all point to the beginning of the Lord's work in us personally. I hope you all have a beginning of the Lord's work in you. I hope you have a testimony of the beginning of Christ's transformational work in you. For me, I was, five, I don't know, this, this makes me mad. I feel like I have to say it every time. I was four or five, I think. My parents didn't write it down. I remember like it was yesterday, but no one ever writes the date down. you think if you were in a pastor's home, they would write the date down, but they never did. And uh, I, I was, we were on our way to a, we were on our way to a road trip from southeast Texas to Atlanta, Georgia, where my grandparents lived. It was a Wednesday night after church. We were leaving the next morning, and we wanted to go get gas that night. My dad had just preached. That Wednesday night, I was sitting in church as a four or five-year-old kid. I'd heard the invitation. I was con- confused, as most four or five-year-old kids are when they hear an invitation. I hear words like Christian, uh, salvation, hell. I was kind of just curious. I wasn't scared. I wasn't, I wasn't like, uh, nervous. I was just curious. I was asking my brother, who was seven or eight at the time, he, my brother Quinn. I was saying, what does this mean? He, he had just gotten saved a few years prior. I said, what does this mean? What is all this talking about? What does it mean to be a Christian? I hear that you're a Christian. I hear that dad's a Christian, mom's a Christian. I feel like I'm surrounded by Christians, but I don't think I'm a Christian. And I was just kind of curious, asking my dad was outside pumping gas, and uh, he ran to the store. Back in the day, used to, I don't know, they used to just leave us in the car. I was just in the car. Literally, like, my whole life, I was just chilling in the car when my parents were inside. Um, he ran to the store, and me and my brother were just chilling in the car, trying not to get kidnapped. And uh, we were talking about what it meant to be saved. And I was confused, and he was trying his best, but he wasn't helping that much, but I still give him some credit. And uh, I, my dad got back in the car and said, Dad, what does it mean to be a Christian? As a four- or five-year-old kid, he walked me through what it meant to be a Christian. And I got to trust Christ. I was four- or five-year-old, and that was the beginning of a work. That has continued up until now. And that story is, 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 it's not that great of a testimony. But to me it is. Why? Because that's the beginning of Christ's transformational work in my life. And now I can look back and say, this now as a 24-year-old person, it started there and this is where he's brought me. Why? Because he which hath begun a good work and you will continue, will continue it. Salvation is an incredible, miraculous thing the Lord does, but it is just the beginning. Unfortunately, many Christians allow the miraculous beginning to be the start, middle, and end of their walk with Jesus. They get saved, they find a seat, and they're done. The Lord is not done. 
Secondly, the work has begun, but there is a work being done. There's a work being done. 1 Peter 5, 10, Ephesians 4, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 all support this, but we're going to use Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The Greek implies that this is being sanctified. This is a continual process, the process of sanctification. Not only did Christ start something in us, but there's a work being done in each of us continually, and that is sanctification, the process of being made holy. This is sanctification. This is God conforming us to his image. God conforming us to his image, daily striving to overcome imperfections. Justification has freed us from our sins. Sanctification is freeing us from our desire to continue in our sin. Sanctification is not about being perfect, but being perfected. This is a messy process and a long process. Sanctification is a painful process. Sanctification makes you feel like you're the worst, and to be a matter of fact, you are. But sanctification it does not leave us where we're at our worst. It brings us back up because God is not done with us. You will fall, you will mess up, you will blow it, but, not be, but do not be so angry at legalism that you forget sanctification. I promise there are times, I, this is just a pet peeve of mine, when I hear pre, uh, people say these words, that, that preachers don't practice what they preach. I'm not talking about uh, clearly like hi hypocritical lifestyles, but I promise you I do not practice what I preach 100% of the time because I'm a flawed human being who sins and who struggles, and you don't practice what I preach either. But the goal of preaching is not to be perfect, it's to pursue perfection because Christ is not done with us. And that is why we preach. When you blow it, remember there's good news. I, feel, I get nervous sometimes, I feel like I just get up here and preach, this is what to do, this is what not to do, and it's hard things to live up to. And I've heard sermons before where you just, you get up and you say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Don't do this, this, and this. And you walk out feeling discouraged. That is not the job of preaching. The job of preaching is to say, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And you're going to mess up. But thankfully, Christ didn't mess up. And although you are who you are, he is who he is. Thank God Christ already has. Preaching is being told what to do, realizing you'll never do it, but thanking God that Christ already has. Because work is being done. There's a beginning, there's a process happening, but praise the Lord, there is an end. Verse number 10 in our text says this, that ye may approve things that are excellent, ye may be sincere and without offense till what? Day of Christ. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in shall be burned up. This is a promised day. And for those of us that know and follow Jesus, this is a celebratory day because we were reminded that our struggle we just talked about is not eternal. That, that uncomfortable sanctification process that we're all going through as followers of Jesus does not stay that way forever. There's a day when, we're, when we will truly be perfected. That day is coming, so live like it. Embrace the sanctification on earth to enjoy the perfection made in heaven. There is an end. So let's continue to live like it. Let's continue to see the beginning. Let's see people saved. Let's see people growing and changing. And it's uncomfortable and you mess up and you fall, but keep going. Why? Because Christ died for you and he loves you and you are not a finished product, but one day you will be and we can look forward and celebrate that. Continue in that. Continue in your joy found in the gospel. Let the gospel be everything to you. Let it be what wakes you up and puts you to sleep. Let it be the center of every ministry that we, that we start and grow in, that you follow about the church. Let it be everything so that we can experience joy and then we can continue. And we can continue in the work that Christ is doing in us and around us. As a church, as individuals, we must 
continue. Third, lastly, continue, continue to abound in the love and knowledge of Christ. Verse number 8, 8 through 11, let's read it real quick. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in all the bowels or depths of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Paul is thankful that you have a joy that only the gospel produces, and I'm thankful that the Lord has not only started something in you, but is still doing something. But I'm praying that your job that the growth is not done and that you will continue to grow in your love and knowledge of Christ. When we continue to say, yeah, that's what I, I heard yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast, I heard Larry Leatherwood's testimony, I heard Stephen's testimony, and the theme for both of them for me was saying yes to Jesus is never something you regret. When we continue to say yes to Jesus, this is our result. When we base our lives and receive our joy from the gospel, this is the result. When we allow God to continue molding us and conforming us to his image, this is the result. Abby and her sister just sang about it. Being a clay, it sounds beautiful, the potter's clay. Being a, have you ever watched them do pottery? That hurts. They punch it. And it hurts. Why? Because it's being formed to his image. That hurts. But when you continue, when you stick with it, when you grow, this is the result. Let's work through these three verses. Verse 9, he says, I pray. And this I pray that your love may abound. He said, I pray that your love may abound more and more. But not just your love for anything, but a love in knowledge and in all judgment or sense you have been given from God. This is his prayer. This is his prayer as he begins to write this letter. He's kind of concluding his greeting and getting into the letter. Verse number 10, that ye may approve of things. Once your love is abounded, once your love for the knowledge of Christ, once, you, once you're wanting to be poured in from the knowledge of Christ, when that happens, you get this. Verse number 10, you get discernment. You may approve of things that are excellent. A discerning love. You may be sincere and without offense. A, a sincerity or authenticity. This is a genuine love. And then at the end of the verse, without offense to the day of Christ. This is a blameless love. Verse number 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Galatians 5, 16 and 23, teenagers, I won't preach it again. I've been preaching it for a year. The fruit of the Spirit. Why? If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of flesh, and we will bear the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are things are promised to us when we are walking with God. These things are given by Christ, but what's the purpose? What's the purpose of all this? Why continue in the gospel? Why continue in the sanctification process? Why uh, continue in, in the love and our abounding love for Christ? Why? Verse number 11 tells us, which are by Jesus Christ, what? Unto the glory and praise of God. What is all this worth? What is all this for? It is for worship. All these things for the purpose of glory and praise for God. We must continue being a church that does everything for the purpose of glory and praise for God. But listen, not just on Sundays, not just with our voices, not just with our songs, not just with our outward appearance, but we must worship in the dark as we do in the light because the gospel has completely changed us. Matt, you can come play. We're, we're, we're just about done. What Paul wanted this church to continue in is exactly what we are to continue in. Joyfully gospel-centered. I hope the gospel is real enough to you that basing your life on it does not sound crazy. You know what I'm saying? 
If you were just to walk in and be like, yeah, this story from 2,000 years ago um, that my church believes or something, like he wants me to base everything on it, every decision, every, everything should be filtered through the gospel, what it's done. I should wake up thinking about the gospel, I should go to sleep thinking about the gospel. When you've experienced the gospel, when you've grown in your love for Christ and knowledge, when you've tasted and seen what the gospel can do, it's not crazy to think that it is everything to you. And I, I've preached this whole message, but I don't know if I've told the gospel. And the gospel is this. The gospel is that you are a sinner. Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have fallen short because of your life and because of Adam, because of your sin nature. You are destined for eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Hell is a real place, but maybe the worst part of hell is not the fire, but the separation from God. And that is where you are headed if you have not experienced the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is this. Although you are separated... This is you. This is God. There's a separation here called sin. Christ loved you so much that he willingly laid down his life and paid the price. He lived the life you could never live and died the death you could never die so that you could bridge the gap of separation and know him and experience what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, but not just on this earth, but in eternity. And when you place your faith and trust, when you believe that, the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. When you believe the gospel, when you believe that Christ loved you, died for you, rose again, all so that you can know him eternally, you're saved. The Bible says you are not just saved and you are radically transformed. You are a new creature and then you enter this sanctification for the rest of your life of God perfecting you. And that's a beautiful place to be. Why? Because you've experienced the gospel. So I want to ask you this. If you have not experienced the gospel, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, come talk to us. Come forward. We're going to do an invitation. Come forward and come experience what it means. There are men and there are ladies in this church who love you so much that they are willing to take a Bible and show you not what they think, not what man says, but what the Word of God says of what it means to go to heaven. If you've not made that decision, don't leave these doors today. You don't know what holds today. You don't know what holds tomorrow. But I know who holds us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, become one today experience the gospel today. And once you've experienced the gospel, base everything in your life on it and you will live a life more full of joy than you could ever have noticed. Continue being joyfully gospel-centered. Continue growing confidently. And it hurts and it's painful and we don't like it and it's uncomfortable, but it's exactly where God has us. Why? Because we are not finished products. And I want to look back like Larry did yesterday and say, this is where I was and this is where he's brought me. And that we got to see the highlights yesterday, but I bet there was a lot of days of pain and uncomfortable and all these things. Why? Because that is God growing us. And we could all point to our painful days, but if we're just pointing to painful days, we're forgetting all the good days, all the miraculous things we've seen. All the good, and we could go down the list of people in here, in this room today, that I've seen God radically transform their life out of salvation and through sanctification. We could go through and say, this is where they were when I knew them three, four years later. This is where they are. It's not because of me. It's not because of a pastor. It's not because of anything other than what the gospel brings. Because the gospel doesn't just save us. It sustains us. It sanctifies us. Confidently growing, then abounding in love abounding in love and receiving what that means. When we're hungry and we're in love with the knowledge and judgment of Christ, He will pour us out things that we could not get anywhere else. I saw this in my, in my notes this week and I want to read it to you and we're done. The world is too perilous and the gospel too glorious for us to be content with our past achievements. The world is too perilous, the gospel too glorious. I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what tonight will hold. I don't know what tomorrow, I definitely don't know what tomorrow holds. But I know who holds tomorrow. 
I pray that every day I wake up, no matter whether it's the pastor full of Baptist Church or whatever else God has for me, I pray that I wake up with purpose wherever that is, knowing that although I am who I am, He is who He is, and I, my goal is just to continue trusting that. And I pray that you full of Baptist Church, goal is to continue trusting the same thing. Not for your sake, but for the sake of South Iredale High School. West Iredale High School. Oakwood IB. Troutman Middle School. West Middle School. Kids walking those halls who have no idea who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And we as a church have a chance to change that. So we must continue. How about tomorrow when you go to work, all those people around you who may have a cultural Christianity but who have never experienced the gospel and who don't know who Jesus is, you full Baptist church has a responsibility to change that. You have a responsibility to change that. So we must continue. This can't be the end. And that's, if it's the end for me, great. And no, it's not the end for you. Why? Because a pastor does not define purpose. The God who created you does. And walk in truth knowing that, confidently, confidently centered around the gospel, confidently growing, confidently abounding in love for more and more because God has given us too much to sit idly by. We must continue. We must continue. Heads bowed, eyes closed, you stand. We're going to pray. If you don't know Jesus, please experience him today. Please know, please meet him today. Allow someone to show you from the Bible Jesus today. The invitation is simple.